if I have never met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King, and uh, glad that you're here with us. I want to give a special welcome to those of you here at the Bellingham campus. Welcome those of you who are joining us at our Ferndale campus as well. And to those of you who are watching online during the week, uh, we're just really glad that you've chosen to come and hang out with us. And we hope you'll just kind of enter into the spirit of what it is that we're about to uh, do over this next couple of minutes. You know, before I actually get to the sermon content, got a couple of things that we just need to talk about as a family. If you read scripture, you see that God does a lot of calling to, God does a lot of calling out. God called the Apostle Paul to the ministry, church planting, and establishing churches. And because Paul was responsive to that call, we're here today, a couple of thousand years later. God called the Apostle Paul to the ministry, but God called the people of Israel out of something. He called these people out of bondage into a brand new freedom. In life, there are many seasons in which God calls us to a story, and other times God chooses to call us out of a story into a new direction, into a new opportunity. In the past couple of months, we've had a front row seat of God being God. Sometimes it's comfortable, sometimes it's not. God called Pastor Mike and Pastor Dave into the story at Christ the King Bellingham. And now in God's providence, God is calling two of our staff out of our story and into an even greater story for his glory. Pastor Felix has faithfully served Christ the King since 2002. And God's calling Felix out of the Christ the King story to a new adventure that's still right now between Felix and Jesus. And that's a good place for it to be. I want to thank Felix for his passion, for his prayer, for his heart for the kingdom, and for kingdom transformation. Felix has been the guy who stood on the front lines and handled the most fragile of God's flock. And he's always done it with grace and with care. Pastor J.D. Holt, another one, you ready for this? Has accepted a call to Fellowship Bible Church in Topeka, Kansas. Six years ago, when we needed an executive pastor at Christ the King Community Church, God picked J.D. Shoot, and I practiced this without tears. All right. J.D. Holt's been my right hand for six years. My love and respect for him has never been greater than it is right now. When J.D. came, I asked him to love the staff at Christ the King as much as I did. And he did that. And he loved us. And because of that, we trust him. And when God says, J.D. needs to go to Fellowship Bible Church, church of about 1,400 people, to be the same kind of gift to them that he was to us for six years, how can we do anything but say, okay. We value honesty and transparency at Christ the King Church. So this is how it works around here. I don't care where it worked, where you came from. This is how it works here. If you've got questions, you can ask. Uh, the only thing I'd ask you to do as your pastor is just make sure you're asking the right people. Because if you ask the wrong people, you're going to end up gossiping, and that's just wrong. It's just wrong. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, because it can probably take you the wrong way. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your words, acknowledge Him, and then He'll make your path straight. I love it when God calls people to our story, when he calls them out. I struggle. I do. But I'm going to ask you as a church here in Inferndale, would you please just take a moment 
and appreciate and honor these two men for everything that they've put into this family and this church. And let's, through our applause, ask God to bless them in the directions where they are going. Would you join me tonight and be able to do that? That's awesome. Now we're going to open the word and see what God has to say to us. So far on the road out. (laughs) That's ironic, isn't it? Right, yeah. So far on the road out, God has provided many things for the people of Israel, his people. God provided a plan for freedom. The very beginning of the book. God comes to the people of Israel. He goes, I heard you. When you cried out to me, I heard you, and and, and I didn't neglect you, I didn't turn away from you, and and, and I'm going to give you an incredible step as we walk this journey together. So God gave them a plan for freedom, and then he gave them a way out. It wasn't an easy way. Leaving your captivity is never, ever easy, ever, ever, but it was a way out nonetheless. And last weekend, I thought Pastor Dave did an amazing job of covering the fact that God gave him not only a way out, but he gave him a way through. A way through the Red Sea. And and, and if you didn't have an opportunity to be here last weekend, please go and grab that CD. Because I meet people every day who are up against the wall and it seems like somehow God abandoned them. And then God steps in and he touches you because he'll give you a way out, but he'll also give you a way through. I mean, just put yourself on the other side of the Red Sea, just for a second. God's come through in an incredible way. An entire nation has walked through the bottom of a sea with water stacked up on both sides. And they get to the other side, and then the water collapses in, and Pharaoh and his men are just gone. I mean, what a great scene. God just performed a miracle. Pharaoh and his army are done for. The people are safe. It's amazing. And the people are celebrating. I can just hear him. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. We're loving this. Our God's bigger than the Egyptian God. This is amazing. It's a party. Moses is the man. Moses is the guy for one second. It's all good until you get hungry. Or until suddenly you're thirsty. Suddenly we find the people right after this amazing miracle walking through the Red Sea. They're thirsty for water, hungry for food. But it goes so much deeper than that. Because pretty soon the hunger pains and the thirst feelings begin to make them think about a time back in their history when they had something to drink. And when they had lots to eat. And pretty soon they're not just thirsty and hungry for water and food. They're thirsty and hungry for their old way of life. Because they left on the road out. They, they left behind the safety and the comfort of, of the way things used to be. And suddenly, they're all of a sudden thinking, it might be better to go back to Egypt. Think about that. They're considering going back to their chains based on menu and beverage selections. You think about it. There's a word in the recovery world for what we see happening here. And the word is relapse. Relapse happens when we fall or slip back into old patterns of behavior. Relapse is a process in which you take your eyes off of the deliverance that God has given you and you start contemplating your old way of life. I've been there and done that. I know how it works. 
Contemplating leads to considering. Considering leads to planning. Planning leads to experimenting. And experimenting takes you right back to those old chains. Right back where you started. We get a front row seat to the Israelites when they have a momentary relapse. They make it through the deliverance of the Red Sea, but then they're confronted with a whole new set of questions. Where's the food? Where's the water? Is Moses an idiot? I mean, come on, big man, step up. You did the snake thing. Filet mignon. Let's go right now. Get with the plan. I'm not comfortable anymore. I don't like this. Everything has changed. In Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3, we get a snapshot of the ugly side of humanity. It's not pretty. Here it comes. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Don't you want to be Moses now? Exodus 17, verse 3, same people. It says, the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? What's your problem, Moses? You had this big, glorious plan. We saw the plagues. We're hungry. Where's the food? Where's the water? You got us out. God took us through. But where's my sandwich? I'm not comfortable anymore. I want to go back to the way things were because at least I could count on the way things were. People are funny, aren't they? I mean, we just don't change that much even though we say we have because this is how I've seen it work. It goes like this. We want change. We want change. And then God says, okay, here's some change for you. But just so you know, in order to get where you want to go, you're going to have to leave where you presently are. And people are like, yeah, we want change. We're leaving. We're leaving. And then God says, oh, by the way, this is not about your comfort. It's about my calling. And it may actually be a little uncomfortable for a while. And people go, really? Uncomfortable? We don't want change. We don't want change. We don't want change. And then they actually say this. Instead of wanting change, they actually say, we want chains. We want chains. Let's go back to Egypt, because at least we had food. I'll tell you what, if I was God in this moment, and the people of Israel should be so happy that I was not, it would have been fine, back to Egypt with you. You want to whine and complain after everything that I've done for you? You look at this history of how I've looked after you, and now you people are whining and complaining. Back to Egypt with all of you. Enjoy Pharaoh. Have fun. There's another one waiting for you on the other side of the ocean. I mean, I would have grounded all of them. But, you know, I love that God's response is a little different than mine because God has a plan. And here's the amazing plan. He's got a plan for provision. This is what he provides. He provides bread for the people. Don't believe me? Exodus 16, 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. People are to go out each day, gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether or not they will follow my instructions. God says, I'm actually going to draw bread out of heaven for you because I, I know you're hungry and I've got you covered. It's going to fall and it's going to be kind of crazy. It's going to be all over the ground. You're supposed to pick it up a certain amount at a time. Don't believe me. Read Exodus chapter 16 and you're not even going to know what it is. In fact, the first time they see it, they call it, what's this? That's what they call it. What is this? 
He gives them bread. Then he actually ups the ante. God provides not only bread, he gives them meat. Exodus 16, verse 13. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. Birds all over the place. Just sitting there. Go out and grab a couple. It's like Cornish hen every single night. How good could that be? Awesome, right? Well, at least for a week or so. Then it probably get old, right? That evening, quail came, covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. That's the stuff that we call manna. They got meat, they got manna. And then it says God provides water for them. Exodus 17, 6. He's saying to Moses, I'll stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. This is what God's saying. I know you need food and water. I made you that way. And I didn't bring you this far to let you starve. I didn't bring you this far to let you die of dehydration. I've got you covered. Did you just not see what I did? You were up against an ocean, and I split the ocean and let you walk through. Did you just forget that? Isn't it amazing how quickly we forget? I mean, I've been alive for 44 years. I've got 44 years of God's faithfulness. But it's amazing how quickly it's just like, something happens, God does not love me anymore. I'm here completely on my own. What in the world is up with that? Just got him out of Egypt, and he's pleading with them. Look, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Trust me. If you read Exodus, you're going to find something. You're going to find that even when God provides, the people's response is not so good. God's people responded to God's provision with endless fits of whining and complaining. Just read the rest of the book. Every time they turn around, off they go, because it's just not quite good enough for them. I was up in Saskatchewan last weekend, that's Canada, for those of you who don't know, preaching at a youth conference. Thanks for letting me go. I got an opportunity to go up there, saw over 200 kids accept Christ for the first time. It's like an awesome, amazing deal. And, and we're up there, and uh, yeah, that's good, we can praise the Lord for that, that's good. On our way home, Laurel and I, we flew from Saskatchewan, we stopped in Calgary for a couple of hours and stopped for something to eat. And, so we're sitting in the Calgary airport, you know, eating Chinese food out of a box. And, and, uh, and, and over in the corner of the restaurant is a mom and about a four-year-old kid. And the little kid's sitting like this. And he's got a plate of chicken strips sitting in front of him. And his mom is pleading with him, like, just eat the chicken strips. But you can tell by this kid's body language, he was not happy at all. So, you know, bottom lip out, arms crossed, legs crossed. Mom's just like, you know, just eat. She tried to order him to eat. Parents, have we ever done that before, right? Eat that food. You know, I'll make you eat that food. And he wasn't having any of that. didn't work, so she tried to plead with him. You know, you love chicken strips. You've always loved chicken strips. You ordered chicken strips. I got you sauce for the chicken strips. Eat the chicken strips. Right? And he's sitting there, just within earshot, and this is what I hear. They're not the right shape. I like nuggets, not strips. Now, before you spank that kid in your brain, okay, just stop for a second, all right? Okay? Because before you get all over his case, let me just ask a couple of questions. When was the last time you took God's provision for granted? Oh, boy, now we're going to get personal. When was the last time you walked into your garage and said, piece of junk? 
instead of thanking God for the fact that he actually gave you a car that runs? Hmm? When was the last time you grumbled because God gave you an answer, but it wasn't the answer that you wanted, so your conclusion was you just don't love me anymore? Because I asked for this. I like nuggets, not strips. When was the last time you focused on what you don't have instead of everything that God has given you? When was the last time you thought about going back to your old life because you don't like the menu selections? When was the last time you fell, a, uh, 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 fell um, victim to that dangerous, addictive little word? The word more. I just want more because it's not enough. I mean, I look around and I see God's provided for every single person in this room. I watch children in Africa pass out from hunger. I don't see anybody passing out from hunger. I saw kids with no clothes. You all have clothes on. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I mean, seriously, right? Right? I mean, I... I don't see anybody in this room who doesn't have an abundance. It all just depends on who you compare yourself to, right? I told you a story when I got back from Africa. I'm at a feeding program, and they asked one of the little children to pray a blessing over this little plate of food, the only plate of food they would have for several days. And I told you the words of that prayer that have been burned into my memory. I appreciate you, God, for this food, which is a gift. I asked you for my daily bread, and you have come through for me again. This food, you could have given it to anyone, but you gave it to me. I will not waste it. I will enjoy it. I will not complain about it. I will receive it. I am your child. You are my father. I thank you. I love you. Amen. I mean, God has provided, hasn't he? He provided in the past, he'll provide in the future. God's provided for this church in the past. God's going to provide for Christ the King in the future. God's provided the right people in the past, and he's going to do that again, because I don't know if you noticed it or not, but this is his church. This church belongs to Jesus. It's not mine. It's not John's. It, It doesn't belong to any of us. This church belongs to him. I checked my Bible again this morning. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I looked for my name in the sentence. It's still not there. He's going to do it. This is his. So I'd like to ask a question. What's our response to God's provision? I mean, is it like the Israelites? Because if it is, oh, God help us all. I mean, are we the whiners and the complainers? Are we the people that actually get with the program? And we've been talking about doing something new and fresh, a kind of a deal. I sit up here like 44 weeks a year, sometimes 48 weeks a year. It's really hot. You think you're warm right now? It's really hot up here. And sometimes it just gets boring because I can only see so far. So we're going to change some stuff up just a little bit because you guys thought that you got to sit in the back of the church and that I was never actually going to come and see you. But yeah. There's a whole other group back here. <laughs> Landon Norton, you backslider, you. Awesome. Okay, so. I mean, there's just a whole other group. And the cool thing about coming to this part is I'm a little closer to the people in Ferndale, which is a good thing as well, all right? 
So what's our response? And the people in the front, you can just look at the screens because, you know, you, you always get another view, right? So now it's your turn, all right? What's a proper response to God's provision? Seriously. How are we supposed to respond when God just keeps doing more than we could ever ask or imagine? Let me give you four ideas. They're all biblical. You can check it out in your own Bible if you want to. Number one is trust, okay? It's trust. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Let me say it again. My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Did anybody hear the word some in there anywhere? Did it say my God will supply some of your needs? I don't think so, right? It says all of your needs. Every single one of your needs are going to be met in Christ Jesus, all right? But did you notice that it said the word wants? Nowhere. He didn't say he'd give you all your wants. I mean, I got a list of wants as long as my arm. The Bible says he'll give you all of your needs. He knows exactly what you need and what you don't need. And it's not according to your riches. Nowhere in this verse does it talk about your 401k or retirement plan. Nowhere in here does it talk about your garage or the square footage of your house. Absolutely not. In fact, it says exactly the opposite. It says the riches that he's going to pay you out of come from the riches of Jesus Christ who provided you the most important thing that you'd ever need, and that's your salvation. That would be really, really good stuff. Here's the bottom line. Are you trusting in God to provide, or are you trusting in this? Christ the King, you've been around. You've heard me say this many times before. Do you know what? I just want to make sure everybody knows what this is. This is a piece of leather filled with paper and plastic. And I've watched parents choose this over their children. And I've watched husbands and wives flush their character fighting over what's inside of this little piece of leather. I've watched men and women sell their integrity for what's inside of this little thing. Do you trust in God or in this? This is the question. Are you trusting Him to provide the way? After what I talked about before, are you still trusting in God to provide the right people for us? Because God already knows who's supposed to come. God's got it all under control. You're going to trust him or we're going to trust ourselves. What about gratitude? There's a proper response to what God has. Psalm 118.1. Here's a command. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Who are we supposed to give thanks to? Ourselves? Oh boy, I hope not. Right? And we're supposed to give thanks to God in everything. And let me tell you why. God's the author and the owner of all this stuff. Everything you think you own, newsflash, not yours. God gave it to you. He passed it on to you. He can take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? We sing it. Boy, do, uh, my question is, do we mean it? He gives and takes away. You sure? You're willing to trust him even when he takes something away? Because that's real faith right there in that moment. God's the owner of everything. We don't own anything. But God has appointed us as a steward of a portion of his stuff, and he's going to hold you accountable for what you do with his stuff. Now, some of you are going... I so should have stayed home tonight. The weather was bad. I should have stayed out, you know, 
should have just stayed home in Ferndale, minded my own business, because you're not going to go there, are you, Pastor? Oh, you have no idea. You know? You're the folks who actually cared enough to try and get here, so let's just tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I am so sick and tired of apologizing for God's plan over this issue. And you know who gets ticked off about it? Uptight Christians. You know who doesn't have a problem with talking about stewardship? Broke college students. They have no problem talking about it because they're just like, just tell me what the Bible says. I may not have to, I may not want to agree with it, but just tell me what the Bible says. God says he's got a plan. I'd like to know what the plan is. Let me tell you what it starts with. It starts with trust and then it goes to gratitude. Because most of the world lives off of less than $2 a day. You are rich. You are absolutely rich. And you should thank God for it. So, when we talk about a plan... I think God's got a plan. I think it's a great plan. Honest moment, my first nine years of being a pastor was disobedient to the plan. Could never figure out why we could never make ends meet until I figured out I was trying to trust me and not trust him. So if you want to know what the plan is, there's a word for it in the Bible, and the plan is stewardship. That's the next blank there, okay? It's stewardship. And the foundation of it is found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where it says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there'll not be room enough to store it. Okay? Here's the plan. It's very complex. Some of you have seen me do this before. It's extremely complex, so I need you to watch and pay unbelievably close attention because God, I just don't want him to completely confuse all of us. Okay? So here's God's plan for stewardship. Can we see that on the screens? Okay, okay. Everyone, are you ready? Going to take notes if you have to? Okay. This is God's economics class. For every 10 of these that God gives you, you give one back to Him in an act of trust and faith. Okay, I lost you, so we're going to do it all over again. I know this is confusing, but I'm just doing my best to boil it down for you. Okay, so one more shot, okay? You with me? Okay, all right. This is tough. For every ten of these that God loans you because he owns everything, and he gives you the life and breath to go out and work, don't mistake and think it's yours because you're working really hard. God gave you the sweat, the lungs, and the body, and everything else. Okay, For every ten of these that God gives you, you're supposed to give one of them back to him in an act of trust and faith. That's God's plan for stewardship. And I know for some of us, man, that that seems like a big deal. It is a big deal. I got to fill my gas tank too, people. I got to buy groceries and feed my kids. I know how difficult it can be sometimes when you're making a decision Gas or God? God or groceries? Been there, done that. God says, will you trust me? You think I know you, that I don't know that you need to eat and drink? I made you that way. This is my plan. I got it for you. Will you trust him? You know, I got an email a couple of weeks back from a lady named Sarah. She, her first paragraph said, I know we hardly ever talk about this at CTK. And it's true. About two weeks a year, 
This is one of the weeks. I'm not going to tell you when the other one is because you'll find something better to do. Okay, so (laughs) somewhere down the road, all right? But I got an email from Sarah, and these are her words. She said this, my husband and I agreed a long time ago that our children would put our offering in the buckets every Sunday so they could see that we mean what we say when when it comes to keeping our financial promises to God. We weren't able to make the January 2nd service, but we were, st- we were still in the air with Delta Airlines. But on January the 9th, God was definitely waiting to talk to me. As the offering bucket started to circulate, God sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said this, Do you see my work? I need your help to work in others' lives. And he was very specific about how much we should be giving at the time. I knew what I felt God asking. He asked me to step up to the plate and understand that my promise had increased in dollar value and that I needed to let go and trust God. I leaned past my daughter, said to my husband, I love this, God's got a plan. The kids are going to put more money in the bucket. Just a heads up. (laughs) That's good right there. The children each had two and a half times what they were putting in before and they looked a little perplexed. But I thought God's been so good to us. He has a plan for 2011 and we need to help people. When my husband and I later talked, he was thrilled with what we were doing and shared that he'd been wondering if God was calling him to start giving in new ways. She says, Pastor Grant, I can't tell you how excited I feel. I love attending Christ the King, but I feel like running to church midweek because I can hardly wait to give a promise back to God. I feel God is saying, if you have faith, I'll show you what that really means. Our year has had so many blessings and resolution in areas that we've been working towards. My Christmas is continuing as we give to God and I just cannot share enough the incredible sense of calm and absolute certainty that God is on my team. I didn't doubt it, but now I'm waking up with the question. How can I walk with God and do His work today? That'll preach. Just a regular family doing what God's called them to do. So it starts with trust, goes to gratitude, works to stewardship, and finally wraps up with generosity. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 9, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what he's decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, there it is again, you'll abound in every good work. As it is written, they've freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. God has called his people to be generous, period. And I don't do it very well. Generous with my time, generous with my words. With these, it's a discipline. Straight out. God's called his people to be generous. Not grumblers, not complainers, not withholders, but generously pouring out God's provision so that other people can be be touched. Here's what you gotta get, okay? Because I think we miss this sometimes. God's not going to hold you accountable for how much you've done, but for how much you've done that he asked you to do. You got that? This is something he asked us to do. He's asked us to trust him, to be grateful, to be good stewards, and to be generous. And we will answer for our obedience and for our disobedience. Some of you may be looking for an opportunity. And the response over this thing has been absolutely incredible. 
we've been doing something called Project Homeless Connect. It's an opportunity to bless a group of people who live right around our building here who don't have homes. It's an opportunity to be generous. Trust God. To be grateful for the home that you have and and to steward something. This is kind of the last week where it's available and it's available both here at at, at the Bellingham campus and at the Ferndale campus as well. It's an opportunity for you to get involved. We're not even going to hit the last blank. That's a teaser for next week, all right? You know, I think it's amazing that right after a moment of deliverance, God calls his people to take a faith step. God simply wants to know, are you going to trust me? I mean, let's just stop playing games. Let's stop playing church. Are you going to trust me or not, once and for all? He says, I've never let you down. I'm going to be faithful to each and every one of us. I don't know about you, but I tend to forget about God's faithfulness. If you need to see a picture of God's faithfulness here at the Bellingham campus, look around. Eight years ago, this room didn't exist. Eight years ago, Christ the King was in a world of trouble. We were in the middle of a $5 million building project, and suddenly our leader was gone, and we had two things that we hung on to with everything we had. Jesus and the mission that he put us on. We locked into Jesus. We didn't get caught in personalities. We found out real quick whether we were coming for a person or whether we were coming for the person of Jesus Christ. And it was tough. It was hard. If you've joined us since then, there's some heroes sitting in this room in Ferndale right now who refused to give up what God had given us. We had Jesus in a mission, a mission to create an authentic Christian community that reached out to people who didn't know Jesus. I lost track of the number of people who came and said, Christ the King is going to fail. It's just going to fall apart. I remember saying, you don't know these people. Because we hung in there, we prayed, we believed, we gave when there wasn't much left to give. We believed in each other, we focused on Jesus, and God provided Ferndale, you weren't even a dream back then. And God provided. He's been faithful and true. And he has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because he is Christ the King. Amen? And we need to trust him. So I'm going to ask the band to come back and join us at Ferndale. I'm going to turn you over to your campus pastor right now. God bless you, Pastor Rich, as you close the service there.